0: Welcome to Between Two Mics. We're Zach and Rock, the co-founders of Squadcast, the only way to record remote interviews in studio quality. Here on Between Two Mics, we explore the challenges, opportunities, and new ideas with the people who are pushing the limits of what's possible in podcasting. Cool. So we're joined today by Liz Covart, the host of the Ben Franklin's World Podcast. Liz, welcome to Between Two Mics.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Zach.
0: Yeah, glad glad that we could put this together in quick order. I know you're, uh, you're a busy lady uh, bouncing around between conferences and, and uh, your podcast uh, production schedule is, uh, I think, fairly involved from what we've talked about in the past. So um, really appreciate your time. And uh, we, were, we were just catching up about the sound education event that you were, uh, you were a speaker at recently. Can you, can you give us a little bit of details on your experience there?
1: Yeah. So Sound Education was a conference organized primarily by Zachary Davis. And he had a lot of help with that too. But Zachary Davis has this podcast called Ministry of Ideas. And they organized a conference for people who have podcasts that educate. And that could be people like me with a PhD. It could be people who just have a passion for their subject areas um, and have a podcast about it. And their whole mission is to teach. So it took place over two days. I was only able to go to the first day, unfortunately, because of scheduling. But um, I gave a talk about the history of radio and the ways that educators have consistently since the beginning been innovators in audio. And then we went to all these different panels about, you know, how do you incorporate your audience into your show? How can you best serve their needs? How can you work on your content in a way that your audience can get involved and you can convey complex ideas without you know, dumbing them down or simplifying them too much. So I just found the conference to be really, really stimulating. Um, There weren't the usual questions of which mic do you use or how do you get your first sponsor? So that, that was really, you know, important questions, but we hear those all the time. So it was just nice not to hear them. And then the networking was great because no matter your subject area, everybody there has this passion for their area of study or their area of interest and a passion for conveying that to other people.
0: Yeah, and I, know, I think that audience engagement is something that you know is is baked into a lot of the the formatting for academia. So that makes a lot of sense that there there would be some focus there uh, from coming from the um, the education background. So I think that that is one of the areas where you know it's one of the opportunities where podcasting is continuing to evolve, and uh, that's one of the, the the reasons we're we're doing the show right is to is to talk about some of those the, some of the opportunities that are. Still out ahead because uh, in the in the future because podcasting still being still you know is a is a medium that's still actively being formed by people like you. So I'm glad that that was um, you know I, I wouldn't have guessed that be the, the kind of prime focus of the conversation there, but that makes perfect sense. It's Very yeah. cool.
1: It was very it was a very awesome conference. I really hope they do it again. So Zach, if you're listening, please host the conference again. <laughs> it was great.
2: And- and Zach will be there next year, too, <laughs> if you are listening.
0: Yeah, And, and uh, I know your show, uh, you know, is is uh, deeply educational. I believe you're um, how how do you I know we've talked a little bit in the past, but how you have a very unique way that your show, Ben Franklin's World is is, quote, monetized. Right. So can you give us some background on on how that came about and, and what your setup is um, as far as, a, you know, being a professional podcaster?
1: Sure. So, I think like most podcasters I started as a hobbyist. Um, and because I'm a bit nerdy, I mean I have a PhD in history, guys. I'm a real nerd. Uh, Good. I researched podcasts for 18 months before I ever launched one. I read about them in a book. That's how I discovered podcasts. Then I researched them, and I really started my podcast because I couldn't find one that I wanted to listen to. I wanted a history podcast about early America. There wasn't a history podcast specifically about that period in 2012 when I was looking at it, and I wanted something that offered more than an, an overview of a subject. I wanted something that kind of got into a lot of the details. And having worked for the National Park Service, I knew that I met a lot of people who were really interested in great history, but they didn't know where to find it. So like a great nerd that I am, I said, well, I'm going to start a podcast. It's going to be all about early American history. We're going to have these in-depth lessons, and I'm going to set it up kind of as an experiment because, um, again, this is a hobby, so I I felt I could do this. So my first question was, were people into scholarly history? So what I mean by that is this is the well-researched stuff. This is not the overview stuff. Um, these are books and historic sites and exhibits and digital projects that historians have put years into researching and forming. And so my first question was, you know, are people into that? You know, or is this a very highly niche thing that really only historians are into? And then I figured if I answered yes to that question, we could answer the second one, which is if people knew where to find this great history, would they go out and seek it? Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I figured if I worked two, you know, for two years, if I worked really hard for two years, I might find an audience of a thousand people who are into geeky, nerdy, early American history as I was. Mm-hmm. And the podcast blew up three months later uh, to like, it was averaging pretty much out of the gate, 25 to 26,000 downloads per month and it's just grown gangbusters since then. So some of my theories were a little off. There are tons of people who are interested in history, and the things that they like about the show is we talk to these high-quality guests about their high-quality work. We don't dumb things down. It may take us an hour to get through some minor aspect. I don't want to say minor, but smaller aspect of of a big topic. But you you leave that conversation feeling really well-informed, and it's all accessible. We don't We don't have jargon. We make sure we explain things and every episode stands alone. So you can kind of go through the Ben Franklin's World Catalog and just pick things topically if that's what you want to do. And there are a lot of listeners who also start at episode one and go all the way up through the catalog, which is now over 200 episodes because they just they want to learn things. Um, So that's great. Now, when the podcast exploded, I didn't know I had a media business on my hands. I was a professionally trained historian. I decided I didn't want to do the professor thing. And I honestly thought I was going to research and write lots of books and articles and do this podcast thing on the side. And so I reached out to this organization called the Omohundro Institute of Early American History and Culture. They're 75 years old. They're based out of Wayman Mary down in Williamsburg, Virginia. And their goal is to produce, you know, great scholarship and to support scholars who are producing that scholarship. And I had heard the now director of the Omohundro Institute, Karen Wolf, give a really impassioned speech like three years before I started the podcast about book reviews of all things. And she said, they're an important part of the business side of history. And I was like, huh, that's a really curious thing to say. There's like a business side of history. Hmm. And it wasn't like this earth shattering thing where I went and immediately asked her about it, but it like lodged in my brain. So when I started, you know, experiencing massive growth problems, like, Instead of me going out to find my guests, people were starting to contact me. And it's like, history is a really small world and I would help everybody if I could, but I can't help everybody. So how do I say no to people effectively? Like this was actually an issue because I'm going to run into these people at the next professional event. Or what do I say to sponsors? You know, I know everybody's gung ho to get a sponsor, but it's actually a huge deal because no matter how much you tell someone it's an ad, it's still your voice on that ad and kind of an endorsement. So yeah. it's, you know, for me, it wasn't an easy issue. So it's like, you know, I had just started thinking about like, if I did sponsors, like how am I going to provide value to my audience? Because that's what I want to do all the time is get guests, get topics, you know, and make a show that provides value all the time to the audience. So I had some of these growth problems and I reached out to Karen Wolf and I said, I don't know if you remember me, but we've met a couple times. I think I have some history side of business problems could we meet and let me tell you about my podcast? And she enthusiastically responded a couple weeks later and said, yes, I know you. And we'd love to have you come down to Williamsburg because we're very curious about this whole podcast thing. Uh, This was in 2015. And so I went down there. I gave them a very professional presentation because, again, I'm a nerd. And they basically sat me down and they said, Liz, you have a professional media publication. And I was like, like this thing is still a hobby. Like I'd been spending more and more time on it, but it was still a hobby. And they were like, you need to treat it seriously. And so at that point, I started treating my podcast like my scholarship, investing a lot of time in it, trying to get better with all the audio. And during 2016 to help me out, the Omohundro Institute entered their own experiment with podcasts, which is they started this series on my show. They paid to produce it. I produced one episode a month that were answering listener questions about how historians work. So over 2016, we produced 14 episodes because there was like a bonus preview and a bonus um, ending to it. But we produced 14 episodes going through the details of how historians pick a topic, how they research it, how they write it, how they organize their research. And a couple episodes about genealogy, because that's a big gateway for listeners to history. And it was so successful that they offered me a job at the end of it. And I was like, wait, you want to offer me a job to produce my podcast? And they were like, yes, yes, we do. Um, So since May of 2017, I've been producing Ben Franklin's World as an official publication of the Omahondro Institute. Um, This means I get paid for my work now. It means I have a team. We've been building a team up over the last year and a half or so around me so we can do more to service our audience. And we still you know take sponsors because again, this content is free to consume but not to produce. It still costs a lot of money to produce. and as we add things, it gets more expensive to produce. Um, so we are looking at different ways to monetize it, but right now, you know, from a personal vantage point, I have this institution sponsoring it and then you know to bring money in, we've been using speaking fees I get I asked to speak a lot now, so all those fees that people give me goes back to the podcast, so I'm not I haven't profited in that way on that. Um, and then we have our, our occasional sponsor on the show to help offset the costs of production. And we're going to continue to build out some of these business models around that.
0: It's super, super unique path to take. Um, and I think, uh, have you, have you met any other podcasters, professionals that are, that have a similar trajectory to that?
1: no i am really the first one at least in history there may be in science because science podcasters have been like a thing before i was a thing like you look at pamela gay and i believe she does work at a university i mean she is an academic astronomer and she has astronomy cast so she may have um somewhat of a different experience but in terms of the humanities and history like what the omohundro institute and i have done is completely new and novel so we're just kind of pioneering this new path that professional historians might be able to take in the future.
2: So That's really awesome to hear, Liz. I I love hearing that, you know, this started as a hobby project and then boom, all of a sudden you're, you know, someone's telling you you're a professional. and You didn't even feel that way yet. That's incredible. And I certainly want to cover more of um, what's the future plan for Ben Franklin's world, but real quick, I wanted to back up for a second and you know, I've, I've heard you say or seen on your website or somewhere that you believe history is the key to understanding who we are and how we affect, uh, make you know, for a better future. Where did you, where did that burning desire to become, you know, you say history nerd, but I'm thinking it's more like history badass. Where, did, when did you find that 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 was like your calling, your 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 interest?
1: You know, I've always been into history. I was born in Boston. I grew up in New England, and my parents must have taken my younger brother and I to every New English historic site to the point where my brother was four. I remember him saying at the Mark Twain house in West Hartford, Connecticut, no more dead people's houses. (laughs) Um, And then I went off to college and my parents were, you know, those start of that generation where parents were like, you go to college and you get a very specific degree that's going to lead to a very specific job. So you're not like, taking on lots of debt and not having a job at the end. And I was like, no, I want to major in history. So I worked at the National Park Service as a way to convince my parents that I would have job prospects and as a way to get them to continue to invest in my education. And it worked out and I got really bitten by the bug there in terms of, I witnessed something really special. Um, David McCullough published his book, John Adams, about two years into the time I was working at the Boston National Historical Park. And listener questions over the next three years got really detailed, really interested and really excited about history. So it was like with that book, which has its own flaws and problems with it, but that book really got people interested in history. So I got to see, you know, what well-communicated history could do um, and how it could energize and interest people. And so I went to grad school with that fascination. And so I think the fact that i become an audio nerd, but I've pursued this line of of work where I'm trying to get people interested in history, seeing how it applies to their lives, seeing the continuity between the past and the present. I mean, there are reasons that the politics of the day are are the way they are. I mean, it goes back into the past. This wasn't like an instant thing the way that it happened. There's a reason why our constitution is shaped the way that it is. There's a reason that we have some of the social and cultural problems the way that we have them today. And you can link most of this stuff back to the early American past. Um, so I think it's really important to just present people with ideas and these linkages with the past that they can think about. Um, so we tend to leave things open-ended where I'm not giving you like my super opinion on it. It's just like our guests have said these things. I point out what I thought was interesting about it. And I just leave you with things to think about. And listeners have said that they really like that aspect because we have people that have all sorts of different beliefs, cultures, and and things like that that live listen to the show. So... Um, they're able to take that and make meaning out of it for themselves.
0: I'm curious, like what, uh, what other, you know, how has your podcast evolved? Because you had some of those early, like rapid growth challenges, you know, overcoming those, I'm sure demanded some change and evolution on your, um, on your production, your logistics that go into your, your show. Um, But then also how, how have they, you know, morphed into additional, additional ideas and either in podcasting or books or speaking, like, how do you uh, how have you evolved your your content strategy um, since you've started podcasting?
1: I would say that my content strategy has stayed really the same as I have a core audience. You know, I did the whole thing where I created a a podcast avatar. Her name is Janet Watkins. She's a 22 year old pre-med student at the University of Buffalo. And she finds out at the last minute she has to enroll in a history class. And she's like, why do I need a history class? I don't you know, I'm a scientist, I'm about to go off to med school, like, why do I need this? And so the goal each week is to get Janet to pay attention. In fact, I have this scenario in my head where she's at her student work-study job at the student clinic, and she gets caught by her boss in the supply closet listening to my podcast, like kind of in this clandestine fashion, because she's supposed to be working, but she's actually listening to my podcast, because she just can't turn it off. Um, So what I try to do is what kinds of topics would engage Janet? What kinds of questions would engage her? Um, and I think the only thing that's really changed is now there are real Janets. There's Al down in Florida, Matt out in um, California, Kathleen in um, uh, Virginia, Caleb in Wisconsin. Like, these are real people now. And they email me with real topics and real questions. And we interact. And I just try to create content to serve
0: them and out of your audience i'm curious like have there? i imagine because they're you know so um so involved in in your process like have there been spinoff shows or is that do you think something like this could could focus on you know uh, other eras or, or even um ancient history maybe i know it's way less detail we have way less primary primary sources on that and uh and early american history they were they were great at documenting things so um you know has has i'm curious have has that happened with your listeners or um, or other eras been considered?
1: You know, I haven't done other eras because, again, I get to cover like basically four centuries of history. It's a lot. Four different continents, many different languages and people. So I people were like, aren't you ever going to run out of topics? And the answer is no. And historians have different views on topics. So I could cover it 15 times and never give you enough of it. Um but I think earlier this year, the Omahondro Institute asked me to sit down and like list the different podcasts that had been inspired by Ben Franklin's world because I was not the first history podcaster. I was basically the first scholar, like professional historian to get involved with it on a consistent basis and be doing it regularly and to interview other scholars about it. And now there are a lot of different historian interview shows. And I think at one point I calculated it Earlier this year, it was like 47 different podcasts that I knew of had been directly inspired by Ben Franklin's World, had spun off and started. Um, And I'm sure that number is greater now. And that's just the ones I knew of, right? Because not everybody contacts you. Um, But I do get emails from, you know, grad students and others who want to start a history podcast. And, you know, people helped me when I got started. So I help other people. And, you know, that's just the way I think the independent podcast ecosystem is, is like, we're all here to help each other have these podcasts about podcasting and we talk about our experiences and, you know, it's great and like Jonathan Oaks was helping me think through crowdfunding because he's been very successful with that and, you know, I've had Daryl Darnell who is actually my engineer now but he helps me through podcasting questions and things all the time so um, Daryl's
0: awesome. I'm glad you I'm glad you brought him up and you, you touched on your your, uh, you know, how polished your your shows have become over time. I, I imagine, you know, a lot of that is because of your process, um, refining over time, and then also uh, work with folks like Daryl. So I'm curious, what's that, what's that relationship like? How did that start? It sounds like it didn't start as him being your producer.
1: Yeah, so I have always worked with a professional audio engineer. So the first, like, 53 episodes or so were edited by Toby Lyles and 24 Sound. And he was growing his business at the time I was starting. And there wasn't like this plethora of businesses that could help you with your podcasts. When I started, I really struggled to find Toby. Um, but Interesting. I, I basically went to my partner, Tim, and I said, I want to do this podcast thing, but I really don't want to learn all the tech behind it. Because if I learn all the tech, I'll be spending so much time because this is a hobby, right, guys? Like I had other right. things I wanted to do, but I know I need to edit. And so like, can I basically have a podcast payment every month? And he was like, sure, if like, this is what you want to do. I don't think either of us thought I'd be podcasting this long when we when we had those initial conversations.
0: Or oh, at this level.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I worked with Toby. And what would happen is I didn't know how to use the audio editing software. I just sent him a detailed list of all the edits I wanted him to make. Hmm. So it was like, oh, the historian said this, but I want them to say it this way. Or I need you to move this, uh, this time stamp to this. And when I met him at the second annual podcast movement conference, Toby was like, Liz, I just need to show you how an audio, like how simple an audio editor can work so that you can do it and save yourself time by making the edits. And that opened Pandora's box for me because I now use Adobe Audition and I'm editing my podcast all the time. Each podcast gets about five or six editorial passes by the time you go from start to proof. And, you know, Toby was great. It's just, you know, I had expanded. His business was expanding, too. We kind of outgrew each other at the same time. And I went, I, you know, interviewed other people. I knew Daryl because we were in a mastermind together. And I said, you know, I'm looking for someone. I understand this is what you do for a business. And I tried him out like I tried out a couple other editors. And the things I love about Daryl is he pays attention to details, which I pay attention to. Anytime I want him to fix something, because I listen to all the episodes before they post, like they're not done mm-hmm. until, you know, I put them, I've listened to them and then put them in Libsyn. Um, when I want fixes, he's just always so happy to make them. Like, I'm always cringing when I send it off, like, oh, he thought this was done and here. I'm going to put more stuff on his desk. But he's like, oh, no, this is great. When we do the narratives, I, I send him, you know, sound files. I tell him how I want them to sound and how we could put them together. And he sometimes come up comes up with better ways that I never thought. Or sometimes he he chops something that I wanted to be a little longer. so we have this like creative, very productive back and forth. Um, and in the early stages, you know, we've got our process down. That took us a little bit of time to develop. I feel like I sent him a lot of emails that were kind of like in the car talk vein. Well, if between this timestamp and this timestamp, I feel like I'm hearing like a ballpoint pen kind of clicking on a desk, Is there any <laughs> way like you can take that out of the of the sound? Um, so he'd run some other filter and this is like the the benefit of having someone like Daryl. He knows how all the tech and sound engineering software works. So he can run a- Adobe audition. He knows how to do all the fancy stuff. He has all these plugins that I don't want to afford, um, you know, that he just has so I can make <laughs> use of them. And I'm really hands-on. Not everybody is. He does a really awesome first pass of my podcast And it would actually probably be set to air after it. It's just, I will go through it again a couple of times and then I'll send it back to him. Um, Because again, it's just part of my process and the way I view it. Uh, But he does a really great job and it's helpful because he uses Adobe Audition as well. So when I did my first in-person podcast interview this summer, episode 193, I interviewed Barbara Oberg and Sarah Giorgini who are editors of the Adams and Jefferson papers. And we talked about, the rivalry and friendship of John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and Abigail Adams as well. And we did that in William & Mary, in their sound booth, all together. And before I did it, I was like, is there anything I need to know about how to do a live interview? Because before I was using Google Voice, and now I use Squadcast, of course, um, which is so much better. But I was doing remote interviews. And he was like, Liz, you got to be careful because the mics pick up everything in the same room. And it's like I never would have thought of that, but Daryl had the expertise there. And when I was struggling, because editing a multi-voice soundtrack that's more than two, there's there's special functions in that. So you basically gave me a tutorial over the phone. So no matter what I want to do, Daryl is there to help me with it and is a resource. So if you are looking to get into podcasting or you want to add a professional team, I can't say enough about Daryl Darnell and Pro Podcast Solutions.
0: That's definitely been you know a similar uh, some similar things stand out to me uh, uh our our y- a younger relationship with daryl but um yeah he's he's got a real attention to detail he loves what he does and um I know he's been you know having having his uh his business grow as podcasting is growing and just the the scale that they're working at is super inspiring to to me as well um yeah he's he's a he's a great guy, so i know the the first couple times I talked to him i was I was nervous going into it and I'm not quite sure why I was so nervous, but it's because of that level of, uh, of understanding that he has. And it's really, really great. Cause now it's to the point where, you know, if I, if I have an idea or like thinking about a way to solve something under the hood with Squadcast, like we, there's been multiple times where I've asked him and also Chris Curran, like, Hey, from your deeply technical perspective, like are you aware of anybody else doing it like this? Or, you know, is this, um, is this something, uh, is this something new or have you seen this anywhere else? And yeah, lots of times he'll come back with something much better, a better way to do it. So I think that's, uh, awesome that we, we both have that with him, but in different ways. I think that's really cool.
1: And the other great thing about Daryl is you get what you pay for, but he's still, you know, with the way that it's evolved, I I don't think in over three years of working with him, my fee has ever gone up and he just says, no, no, this is a, this is a good fee, um, but there are other places that are cheaper, but you get what you pay for. Um, and there are other places that are more expensive, and I don't think it's as it's, it's as good. Um, so I think it's a it's a he's a great bargain too. So if you're looking for fantastic in a bargain, Daryl.
0: Yeah, I, I'm curious. You know, you've you've mentioned several events that that you've been to. We that's how we met, right? Was uh Podfest. was it Podfest? Yep. Podfest uh, with uh, with our good friend Harry Duran. I think he he introduced us there. We got some Mexican food that was awesome, and the um, you know the conferences, the podcast conferences. I can't say enough about how awesome they are because the community is so awesome. So like, how how have you noticed that that um, that kind of facet of podcasting evolve in in your time as a creative?
1: So I. I have gone to every podcast movement except the very first one because I hadn't launched my show yet, and I'm still kicking myself for missing that conference. Like I watched <laughs> it over Twitter, and I was like, I cannot believe I'm not there.
0: You'd have that special sticker, yeah. If you, if you had gone, so
1: I've now just been to four instead of five. But uh, I really love the podcast conferences because we interact all the time like this through a podcast, or you know, on Facebook, Facebook groups for podcasters. Like that's where they all hang out and yeah. uh so you get to meet all these people virtually but these conferences you get to go meet them and i think that's fantastic i love the way that they've evolved so when i first went to the first couple podcast movements so that'd be the, like their second and third conferences i you know you'd meet people you tell them what your podcast is and like you trade download numbers or whatever that you're going to do and their response was but you have a podcast about history and it was like yep yep but it's not about business. Cause it was all like business podcasters who show up and I'm like, Nope, it's about history. Um, yeah. and like my show would turn out to be like way more popular than theirs. And they were like in shock, but now you go and it's like a diversity Good. of everything, right? Like people who podcast about chickens show up to these events. Like you learn almost as much about like the world and different things people are doing as you do about the people you meet. And I think what we're now starting to see is like different types of podcast conferences. So like I said, Podfest is great for the independent podcaster, especially one that's starting out. It's a really friendly environment for that podcast movement, I think is great. You know, if you're a beginner, sure, but even for the more intermediate and advanced podcasters who also want to mix with like the professional radio and network podcasting crowd, the procasters, So you can go yeah. to like, all these different tracks and mix and match and find out what they're doing and they've spent boku bucks on research for that you could borrow to do on your show. And then you could go learn, you know, from your fellow independent podcasters. And then you have things like Zach Davis and Harvard's um, sound education for educational podcasters. And then you have local meetups like you've done like the the DC Podfest, right? Which pulls in a tight knit community of people that kind of already know each other or you know, we're more regionally based. They can't make it to a national conference. There's still these opportunities to do that. And I, I just think they add so much value um, to the community and I think they help us all. So I'm just really grateful. And if you have the opportunity, I think you should go to one.
2: I was going to say, if we have you on again, Liz, I think we'll have to, it'll be the the whole podcast will be on this.
1: Well, that'll be fun. Um, I could geek out about it all the time. And I, I really appreciate you guys having me on the show this time. It's I, I really love Squadcast. I love talking about podcasting. And I I love podcasters because we're all, we're all, we have different interests, but we all have this thing that connects us. So it's a lot of fun.
0: Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Liz. You're, you're an, um super inspirational podcaster. And I think, you know, uh, uh, your model is unconventional, but uh, it's just because our medium still being still being, uh, you know, evolved and pushed forward by people like yourself. So thank you for your contribution. Thank you. This has been another episode of Between Two Mics with Zach and Rock from Squadcast, the only way to record remote interviews like this one in studio quality. Visit squadcast.fm resources to download your free remote interview checklist. And as always, happy podcasting.